Looks like we are on camera. We need to be careful here. <laughs> Thank you, friends, being here and all online, people watching. I speak Indian English, eh? I don't know Canadian at eh? I'm trying. But uh, this is my beautiful Canadian wife. And she has been living in India for 26 long years. And then we are visiting Canada. We came to visit Canada for two and a half weeks in March. And I'm still here. <laughs> and so I will let my wife uh, speak to you a little bit. And uh, we are thankful, thankful church, for uh, having us to be with you to worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. And we are here not just as a speakers. We are here to worship with you the only one true and living God. And so we are honored to be here. And uh, take off, babe. <laughs> That's a Canadian saying. <laughs> he doesn't know. Am I on? I'm not on. You may have to press your button. <laughs> okay. And the battery showed up. And I'll keep talking because maybe. And I'll just use this. Yeah. Good. Okay. Can you can you hold this? Oh yeah. Let me get it out of my pocket. Mm -hmm. Trying to hide it in my pocket. Oh. Ooh, ooh. There you go. Okay. Am I on now? Yeah. You. Okay. Yeah. Please. It's not so. <laughs> yes. Thank you. He knows. All right. Well, good morning. Um, good to be with you. And I'm Monica, his wife, German-Canadian. Oh, my wife, by the way. I'm from Whitemouth, if anybody knows where that is. Grew up on a farm there. And uh, I was seven when I gave my heart to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I want to serve you the rest of my life. So I was baptized when I was 10 and when I was 12, I told my mom, I'm going to be a missionary someday. I saw a tear run down her face. I had no idea. But later, she told me she wanted to be a missionary. And so finally, in 1996, God put India on my heart. I had done a lot of short-term missions. I went to Winnipeg Bible College right before it became Providence. And... Yeah, I, I was praying, waiting, saying, Lord, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. And I also said, Lord, show me who you want me to marry. And I, I heard a tape from Careful what you pray for, though. <laughs> Just check it. I, <laughs> I actually wanted to marry a tall, blonde cowboy. So <laughs> but she got the blonde. The bald. <laughs> But I was praying, I actually prayed, Lord, arrange my marriage, not knowing I was being called to India, where they have arranged marriages. said, show me clearly who I should marry. I want to know that I know that I know that's the person. So suddenly God put India on my heart. I didn't know anyone there. I said, Lord, I don't know any place to go long term. If I go, it must be long term. And I don't have the money to go. Within a week or so, this missionary from India came to speak at a church in Winnipeg, and he gave an open invitation 
Come to India, serve with Loving Care Ministries. You can stay six months or a year or as long as you want. And while you're with us, we'll take care of your food and accommodations. That's still valid, though. I had never heard of that. You know, usually you have to raise a lot of money to go on missions. So then, to make it short, God showed me so clearly I should go to Loving Care Ministries to serve there. I went in January of 97, flew into hot India in the middle of the night. It was like minus 30, minus 40 here, and it was plus 35 or so there. And I got off the plane, and God spoke to me, you're at home. And didn't know what that meant. I thought I was, maybe I'll go three years, and then I'll see what else God has for my life. And I was ready to be single for Jesus the rest of my life also. I was just so excited to be on the foreign mission field. And around three weeks down the road, God just burdened my heart to pray for the leader of the ministry, who I found out his first wife had passed away in 94 with cancer. And I was just praying for him, burdened for him. And then on the third night at a crusade meeting, outdoor evangelistic meeting, uh, God, the, the burden lifted. And even in that time, I was praying for a wife for him. Uh -oh. like he needs a wife. <laughs> And at the altar call, I walked out in the crowd, looked back towards the stage, and God spoke to me again so clearly. He's your husband. And this peace and joy came over me, and I knew. It was like my whole life made sense. I realized what God had been preparing me for, except the tall blonde cowboy. And I always thought cocoa babies were beautiful. We have two beautiful cocoa babies, and uh, they're studying in the U.S. So... Yeah, that's how God led us together. And I knew he was my husband, but he didn't know that yet. So I was really praying, like, what do I do with this, Lord? And the next day, it's in the book, actually. All the juicy details are in the book. God set us up. We were, like, alone on the side of the road by a hut in the middle of nowhere, had a flat tire. And I knew God wanted me to tell him that. So I said, I need to tell you something. Last night, God spoke to me and said, you're my husband. She did. <laughs> and... Then, after he picked himself up off the ground, <laughs> uh, then he started sharing about his life with me, and actually, other leaders wanted to arrange his marriage, and he said, no, I don't want to be married again. I was uh, alone for Jesus the rest of my life. So he prayed a prayer with all the pressure that he thought God couldn't answer, because some prayers are impossible for God to answer, right? <laughs> so he prayed and said, Lord, if I should marry again, she should be white-skinned, blonde hair, blue-eyed, and come and ask me. Trust me, guys. <laughs> I thought I was shutting the door forever <laughs> so that I would know, I would know, I would know that I'm not supposed to marry again. <laughs> Never expected something like that would come and ask me. <laughs> So that's how God brought us together, 26 years in India, 25 years married. We married in Winnipeg, and it's been amazing for me to see the transformation with the gospel in India, through the gospel. I've seen hut, uh, villages with no facilities, just huts, transformed. Once you go in there, share the gospel, plant a church, then the government comes in and puts roads and electricity and just changes everything. It's like God's blessing comes in. And I've watched it with my own eyes. And we, we're in India, but we're also, we have bases in Germany and Switzerland, Romania, in, in U.S., Vermont, here in Winnipeg. And just watching God change nations, change 
people, communities, cities, nations. It's been incredible to watch that, to be a part of it. And God is moving. And so we have some pictures that I have to look behind to see, to uh, share. But <laughs> Before she talks about the pictures, I would like you to your, know. Your yeah, I know. I would like you to know. This farm girl from this white mouth here, who never flew before, has gone through five continents. And I was looking at the flags. Mm -hmm. And of all the flags, more than 50 nations of those flags we traveled by God's grace. Or just looking at that, counting them that are around, 20 of them and like over 11 nations of those flags, by God's grace, we went there. And uh, so mm -hmm. thank you for sending this girl to India to be with me. And that's actually my wife told me, sometimes it's better to obey wives, right? Mm -hmm. Husbands, you better learn, I mean. <laughs> sometimes, I said sometimes though. Bible says wives obey your husbands, but sometimes it works good. And she told me when we were sitting there, can you share about India? Normally she shares it. And I, she said, I will, I will share about Europe. I said, okay, you are white, you fit to do that, but I'm brown, I will share about India. That picture, I'm one of the I'll five children. Can I sit down? And, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm one of the five. And uh, that's what, that was my palace. And uh, five children, mama and papa, and we are, that was one room small hut. And we used to live in that hut. We have no beds as growing up. We all sleep on the floor. It's wet floor. When it rains, it also used to rain inside the house, which would make you, you cannot even sleep on the floor because that was a dirt floor and it was all wet. And during that time, we used to have a special guest like a, because there was so heavy rains outside, some frogs and the snakes and cats and rats and they are everywhere, you know. So, but it's amazing, you know. I've gone through that and grew up with no food two, three days in a week. That's normal. And many of you may know that the caste system in India According to the caste system is actually a part of the Hindu religion. And we were called, we are called as untouchables. That word literally means people don't, never used to touch us when I was growing up. It's now a little better, but it is still practiced. Untouchability is illegal, but widely practiced everywhere. Caste system is legal. Everywhere in the school and everything, you have to write your caste. And so well, I was born as an untouchable, brought up as they also called them Dalits. You might have heard that term. It was a difficult life. You don't feel loud and accepted. So next picture please, when I was 10 years old, I was walking to school. The reason I could be able to go to the school, there is a school by the side of our community. All the untouchables will live in our own communities. We were not allowed to live with everybody. So there were high caste people by our untouchable community. They have a school that was a government school, but we were not allowed to go to those schools. And uh, thank you, Canadians. Uh, yeah, you, can you go back, babe? 
help. You're good, you're doing good. Auntie would help you. So when uh, we are getting the right picture, I'll share, you know. So Canadians, dunk shan. When I say thank you, I feel it's a little lighter. In Germany, they say Dankeschön, which is, look, look like a more stronger. And uh, the Canadian missionaries came to our area, the Baptist missionaries, and they concentrated on two things. The number one, education. Number two, health. Health and education was their main thing. And he is Reverend McNally. And he was in India for 14 years. He was in India from 1960 to 1974. Actually, a week and a half ago, he went to be with the Lord when he was 88. And uh, so that man, they actually started a school in my village. Prior to me, before me, there was no education for my village. I was the first high school graduate in my village. It's because of the Canadians. Canadians, thank you again. If there is one country of the whole world after my own country, India, that I love, respect, I'm in debt, is this country, the great Canada, that sacrificed your people to come to us. Many of them did not come back to Canada because we have their tombs there. But this man with his wife and children, he, they were going in a Jeep and I wish you can even put the tape, the, the tape that they, they spoke at his funeral. I really want that, yeah. Try, go back and see if you can make it. Otherwise, it's okay. And they were actually, we had a privilege of going. We were in Winnipeg. He went to be with the Lord on Wednesday. Last, not last Wednesday, before last Wednesday. And I get an email from his wife and from his son that you went to be with the Lord. And um, I was in the middle of giving hot dogs in Winnipeg on the street. My wife comes to me with that email and I said, I love to be there. Friday we heard that. Saturday we bought the tickets. Sunday morning I had to preach in a church here in Winnipeg. I preached there and we drove straight to Winnipeg Airport, and we flew to Halifax. We reached there at 3 o'clock in the morning, Sunday, Monday morning, and Monday at 11 o'clock was the funeral, and we attended the funeral. And I was, they let me be a pallbearer. What a honor. And that man, when he was going in a Jeep, he saw me like a dead boy in the middle of the road. Actually, they spoke about that in the, at the funeral, that's why I said, if she can find that, that would be an amazing introduction to me. And that, so what happened, he saw me. All my people, many of them, you see people everywhere in India. They didn't want to touch me, help me, because I was an untouchable. But for this white Canadian Baptist missionary, I was not an untouchable boy. I was a divine appointment for him. He stopped his Jeep. He came down to find out I still had life. I was unconscious, but I was breathing. 
that white man touched me, carried me in his hands, drove me to the hospital, kept me there for a couple of weeks. He took care of everything. I didn't know the story of Good Samaritan then, but now I know. Thank you for being Good Samaritans. And before I was born, actually, my dad has an opportunity to hear the name of Jesus first time in his life through an another Baptist missionary from Canada. My name is, means Jesus' foot. Yesu Padam, Jesus' foot. My dad was the only Christian among the seven untouchable villages. He was also a leader, a Hindu priest for their untouchable community. He was named after the uh, monkey they worship as God. And my dad used to take care of their priestly responsibilities because a high caste Hindu priest never used to come to do the priestly responsibilities because this Hindu temple was located in an untouchable community. So my dad heard the name of Jesus. But you know, thank you worship team. You sang Bible, you sang the gospel. Absolutely. Thank you for choosing those songs. And Father in heaven opened the heart of my dad. My dad understood what Jesus has done on the cross. He gave his heart to the Lord. Poor daddy did not understand what he has to go through. He was excommunicated by his own untouchable community. He was beaten up. It happened before I was born. And that daddy showed me the scars on his body, how they beat him up. That daddy gave me this name that expecting me to be the foot of Jesus walking in the streets of India, proclaiming this glorious gospel to my people. But you know what? When we are going through what you go through, no food, no love, all rejection, pain, suffering, that's all I went through as an young child. My dad told me all the time, son, Jesus loves you. He died for you. You must serve him. I started thinking, if he really loves me, where is the sign of love? Having no food is a sign of love. Rejection, pain, suffering are the signs of love. So I totally did not believe it. I thought, I respected my dad. I thought my dad was deceived by these religious people. I became, you know, I became an alcoholic. I signed with my blood at the age of 11 because a communist man came to me. His picture is also in the book. You know, guys, take the book. I don't have many. I'm not bringing those books to make money. My life is too expensive, guys. You cannot buy that. But like brother said, you know, if you want to give a donation to the but not, not expected. And so my dad was like, a, he was so disappointed, poor daddy, when I became a communist, because the communist man said, if you become a communist, we will be called comrades. You can fight for your rights. And he said, you can bring, actually, a social revolution in India to help your own people to be treated like a normal human beings. 
I don't need, I didn't need, I didn't need anything from them. I just wanted to be treated like a normal human being. So I loved that. I liked that. I took the blade, cut my finger at the age of 11. I wrote my name with my blood and a piece of paper, making a blood covenant to bring a social revolution. Until I was 23 and a half, I have been doing that. In ordinary gangs and the reason was when I was 16, my mom, loving moms, thank you. Thank you for all your sacrifices, all your suffering, everything you do for the family and your children. My mom was a poor mom, but a very loving mom. I, have, I can't tell you details, but I wish I could tell you. When, I, when she takes me to the school, she used to walk with me for some distance because she knows I may fall down somewhere because I was under malnutrition. McNally, Hugh McNally, when my wife and me went there to see him in Nova Scotia after I was married, he was talking to my wife. He said, no Canadian child should have survived with the 3.0 hemoglobin. So she, she would walk with me, and uh, she would watch me until I go to, into the school. Then the school was over, she will walk a little bit from my house. She meet me, and in the middle of the way, the first thing she used to do is touch my stomach, feel my stomach, moms, you are amazing. You can touch the stomach of your kiddies, and you know they are, the stomach is empty. She used to feel that and lift my shirt up and kiss on my empty stomach and then cry. I understood touching and kissing. I never understood why she was crying. After I grew up, I understood mom, poor mom. She knows she didn't feed her son in the morning. He's coming with an empty stomach. She has no food in the house. She didn't know what to do. She might have thought that would fill, her tears would fill, her kisses would fill the empty stomach of her baby. And that mom was sick with the left swollen knee, suffering pain. My dad has no money, literally, to take her to the hospital. Even today, if you don't have money, you cannot go see doctor in India in the 21st century, even now. So my dad basically left my mom in the hut, and I watched my mom suffering day and night, crying with pain, and dying there. If that's the reason that we should live in this world, I didn't want, I said, no, tomorrow, mama. I couldn't see tomorrow. And I tried to kill myself two times. But I know now God, why God kept me. My dad was disappointed when he saw me doing which he never wanted me to do. I saw blood of many people. I saw the dead bodies. I was an angry, angry man. I thought I was doing right. And, uh, but when I was 23 and a half, amazingly, the savior of the universe, the king of kings and the lord of lords, that lamb that came to take it away, the sins of the whole world, whether you believe or don't believe, this is real. This is true. I was an atheist. I converted some of the 
Christ, uh, untouchable young boys and girls that used to go to church to be the communists and train them for gangs. I read Bible to prove that Bible is wrong. I know the story, I heard the story, I read the story, but I never believed it until it was 1976, January 26, around 1.30 in the noontime. I was sitting in the chair and looked towards the sky. Very far in the sky, I saw the shape of a man hanging on the cross with the naked eyes. I didn't have my glasses then. I thought to myself, knowing the story, I thought it could be Jesus. Then my communist brain said, no, 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 that's your imagination. There was a battle between my eyes and my brain. My eyes says that's real, my brain says no, that's not true, that's your imagination. And it disappeared, but I saw the hand I saw five fingers of the hand, as clear as you see my hand. I saw the nail in his hand, and I saw blood drop after drop coming down from the nail thorn of the Savior. I was shocked. To my surprise, my friends, I heard a clear male audible voice, as clear as you hear my voice today. I'm glad he didn't speak to me in Hebrew. I would have missed it. The one who came to seek and save the lost, he spoke to me in my language. He didn't call me a murderer. He didn't call me an alcoholic. He didn't call me a gang leader. He called me son. Son, I did all this for you. What would you do for me? But that word son broke my heart, brought tears to my eyes. What this missionary did came back to my remembrance. And all the words of my dad, daddies, granddaddies, please don't give up on your children. I don't know where they are now as you are sitting here in a church service. Please don't ever give up on your children and grandchildren. They need you. My dad never gave up on me. All the time he saw me, he said that son Jesus loves you. He prayed for me. And that day was an amazing day. To make the long story short, I realized that Jesus is not religion. Jesus is not a world story. I realized Jesus is real, true, alive. He's in the business of meeting with the people like me to change me. And I gave my heart to the Lord. And I didn't think about going to the church as a pastor. I thought, Man, India, friends, great country. I love my people. I love my country. They worship 330 million so-called gods and goddesses. You know the reason is? Millions of them never heard still the name of Jesus in their lives. They worship, they even sacrifice their own children. There are a lot of human sacrifices. They do that to please their so-called gods and goddesses. And for me, like when I got up from the chair, the first thing was, man, my people need to know this because he is real. He speaks. And I went to the street corner, a known communist leader in the city of like now actually four to five million people. And I went there and started clapping and calling people. 
I was known to my other activities. And people, you see people everywhere. And I told them, believe in Jesus. Jesus is God. Literally, the people who heard me thought I lost my mind. I'm still crazy for Jesus. I'm still, I lost my mind. I don't care what people think, but it is real, it is true. If I'm here today, it's because of Christ, the Savior, the Lamb that came to take it away, the sins of the whole world. That was the beginning of my walk with the Lord. Next picture, please. And he went to be the Lord, and we just got an email yesterday. Yeah, which one, babe? Whatever you have, I can share on that. Oh man, I'm doing two things. I want to preach the word, but I also want to uh, share what, oh, okay, I want you to listen to this, please. Can you picture it? At the funeral. They welcomed many people to their home through the years, as Shirley prepared many meals. Hugh was always grateful for all that she did, but it is a humorous tale to me that after many years of marriage, I am told that after he had gratefully received liver, he finally let her know that she did not need to buy liver anymore. <laughs> that actually he was not a fan of liver. Baptist Ministries was done in India. And so it was that in 1960, Hugh together with Shirley were commissioned to serve as missionaries there. For 14 years, they gave tirelessly and fully to the work. The contribution of the McNallys in India included teaching, equipping leaders, youth ministry, and eventually serving at the Baptist Theological Seminary in Kakanada. There is so much that could be said of this time. It was a very rewarding ministry, but at times very difficult work, and most of you would not know that at one point Hugh's very life was threatened. He mastered the Telugu language through persistence and determination, even though he'd been told that he was one of the least likely to do so, but with the aid of God's spirit, he did it. He loved the people of India, and he was not afraid to give himself fully to the work of the Lord. Perhaps one of the most dramatic examples of Hugh's person and ministry occurred when the family had gone out one morning for a drive. Hugh spotted a young boy of 11 or 12 who had collapsed by the side of the dirt road. This boy had gone without food for several days and his body had shut down. Hugh thought the boy was dead, but he scooped him up, this untouchable boy, and took him to a hospital where he was treated and many days later released. Hugh and Shirley, after they had retired to the Annapolis Valley, had a visit from that boy, that boy who became a man, a man who became a pastor and a preacher, an evangelist with an international ministry. This pastor, upon hearing of Hugh's passing, was preaching in Winnipeg this past weekend, just yesterday and unexpectedly and joyfully flew to be with us here this morning. We welcome you, Pastor Yesupadam and his wife, Monica. God bless you. Your presence here today shouts to us of the beauty, the grace, and the contribution of our beloved friend. 
God bless you. Thank you for being here with us today. Your prayers, you your sacrifices has never been wasted. All the sacrifices you made, sending missionary after missionary after missionaries to many nations, but especially to our area, was never wasted. It was worth. So, and the next picture, please. And God called me. I, I decided to live for Jesus, either by life or by death. The first year of following Jesus, I was in a village preaching Jesus. And uh, two weeks ago, I think I was in uh, Gateway South. I was preaching there on persecution. They wanted me. They have been actually going through Hebrews chapter 11. And the end of closing of that is persecution. And uh, Peter called me and said, hey, I want you to come to the church. And I want you, you know, we can preach about the persecution, but persecution is something you experience it. And at the first year, I had a broken head here, broken bones. I was torn for preaching Jesus. I'm honored to have six stitches on my forehead with the broken bones in my body. It's worth. It's worth for Jesus who gave all his blood to the last drop of my blood. And the communists took me, put gun to my head. I have to decide what I want. I want my life or I want Jesus. It is fearful situation. It's playing with the life and death. Five people came. Two of them were trained by me. I looked into their eyes. I said, guys, I trained you. And you know me, how much I was committed for what I believed was true, the Communist Party. But now, I cannot do that. I cannot come back. Finally, they told me to make the long story short. The leadership told us, sent us to bring you either alive or your dead body. They put the gun here. And I had to make a decision. It is fearful. But I looked into their eyes. I said, friends, I would rather die than to give up on my Jesus. His hand started shaking, gun fall down. Two of them knelt down, gave their hearts to the Lord. Just to give you what Jesus can do. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. Don't make Jesus a religion, friends. Jesus is alive. He, he, he's a relationship. It's a personal relationship. It's not a religious activities. Jesus lives in us. And by God's grace, this is one of our bases. And in India, that's one of our churches on the left side. We have 19 churches in the same city. And then, by God's grace, we planted over 10,000 churches in India, besides other nations. And uh, they're just in India. We have children there. They're all the accommodations. People live there. Next picture, please. Because of uh, where I came from, there are still children suffer with malnutrition and no education. And so we took care of, we, we started taking care. They all live with me. More than 5,000 children so far. They live with us. We have three we, we don't call orphanages, we call children homes. And we provide them food accommodation. You would be shocked to know all the children, the youngest is three and a half, 
They get up every day at 5 o'clock in the morning for prayer time. They pray one hour. They kneel down. They lift their hands up. Next thing you see the tears coming down, rolling down from their eyes. They don't pray for food. They don't pray for clothing. They pray for souls to be saved around the world. You're welcome. Monica came. She worked with them. She taught them. And then, the next picture, please. And we feed them. They sit on the tables. And they look at the smiling, beautiful children. They need hope. Next picture, please. We prepare around 2,000 meals in one of the, our bases there. The boy with no food for two, three days feeds 2,000 meals in one base. And this is one of our schools. We have 750 children studying. It's in India where our base is. And it's English. It's all English. And my wife was telling me, you have only 15 minutes. Guys, we say everywhere, you, you have the watch, I have the time. I've only come here one time. First time I came. Don't look at your watches, please. Thank you. And uh, this is one of the schools. has 750 children. All our children in the children's home, that's all free for them. Food, education, and one of the best schools. Next picture, please. And this is how we do the church plants. We go to the tribal areas where they still don't have Bible to their dialect. They speak 18 or 19 different dialects. They live on the mountains. Some of them are still naked. And God put them in my heart. And we have so many teams, you know, from Gateway. Ron was there. Mary was there. And many of them, you know, my uh, John McEnfield was with us. And Andrew was with us, your MLA. He was like our boy. He was in India. A lot of pastors, people from which member uh, from Canada came. You are welcome to come sometime because I cannot explain everything. This is how we build the churches in the villages. We tell the church members to make bricks, and build that. And what we do, we give them next picture, next picture, and we give them the sheets. It only costs five hundred dollars, and one hundred and fifty to two hundred people can sit. We don't have chairs. They sit on the floor. And every village, many times, the whole village gets saved. And the Christian villagers, amazingly. Next picture, please. And this is how we do the, we do huge crusade. This is the children camp in January. We do around 1,000 children come for every year from different communities. They will stay with us four days. Next picture, please. In Jan this was January. We have 40 foreigners that was with us during that time, and we have from Germany, Switzerland, America, and many countries, they come. Next picture, please. This is the baptism. It's a ongoing, every week, we will be baptizing people in different places. And at that time, actually, it was in January, we had around 50 baptisms. Next picture, please. That's how we baptize them anywhere. Next picture. And this is actually, it's the first time in the history of Indian University. We have 1,115 universities in all over India. And we have one of those universities in my city, which has 155,000 students. When I use the word universities, masters and PhDs, first time I heard in Indian history, an untouchable boy, also an undergraduate, was appointed by the government as a board member of this own university 
that's called Andhra University. And I want you to see, you are the troublemakers, Canadians. It's because you sent the missionaries, you gave us a little education, and uh, the, uh, because of Jesus, more than that you gave us Jesus, because of that, see what Jesus can do. This can be only done through Jesus and Jesus alone. What happened, I tell you, they have over 100 acres of land in the university, which has never been used. This is like a, a, what do you call that? A forest. And that was used by the students for other things. Many students have been destroyed their lives for drinking, alcohol, sex, and a lot of stuff. And so by God's grace, I bought those machines for different purpose. That's ours, excavator. And he, the head of the university asked me if I could help them with that. I'm saying, I said, sure. And we cleaned up our next picture, please. See, that's how it looks now. All the thousands of children are playing there. Next picture. And then, uh, this is actually Tida, all that land. Next picture. He is the prime minister of India, the, the Modi. He's our prime minister. Actually, he came to our city for a meeting. There are 500,000 people attended his meeting. They were looking around for a place. There was no other place than the place we cleaned by the grace of God for a prime minister of India to have his meeting there. Imagine what Jesus can do. What Jesus can do. Next picture, please. And he's the governor of Andhra Pradesh in the middle. And this is me. Can you see that untouchable boy with the suit on? Standing with the governor. And then he, on the left side is the head of the university. A Hindu man, but respects me, honors me. And uh, so by God's grace, God connected me, next picture, with the highest government officials. That man is the number two in the politics in the state of Andhra Pradesh, which has actually 60 million people in my state alone. He was a very strong Hindu. It happened recently, that's why I'm showing them. This is a very anti-Christian. And this man, the university, head of the university, told him, sir, Yes, Father Sar prayed for me when I was troubling with the evil spirits in the university, in my family. And he said, when he prayed for me, all the evil spirits left us. Sir, would you mind if yes, Father Sar pray for, pray for you? And his body language, nobody would believe how he humbled himself. I want to tell you, friends, what Jesus can do. I'm not talking about what I'm doing. I'm telling you what Jesus can do through each one of our lives. He is not a respecter of man. What are all he's looking is someone who will be committed and say yes to Jesus, either by life or by death. Jesus can do anything. Next picture, please. This is the mountain. I bought it from the government. Yeah, that never happens. Maybe the first time in the history a Christian organization buying a mountain from the government. I bought it with a reason. 1997, I was in South Korea. I preached in the largest churches there. God spoke to me one day and said, build a prayer mount for me in India. I'm like, oh, what are you telling me, Lord? I have no mountains there. 
And by, to make the long story short, in 97, I wrote a letter to the government to sell me that mountain. And they took seven and a half years before they decided to sell me. God provided all the money that's needed. We paid totally, and I bought that mountain in 2005. Since then, next picture, I've been praying to do that. That's what I want to do. And on the left side, bottom, is a 100-bed hospital. We train nurses. I already started a hospital to help, like my mom. No, and um, we have, that's a small hospital, but this is a big hospital. We train nurses since 2004. The students come from all over India. It's in English that train nurses that are trained in our nursing school. They can go anywhere around the world. And this is, it is important for us to know church is not within four walls. Church should be in the community, touching the community, making a difference in the society. That, to me, is church. That's what Jesus did. He went where there is a need. So right now, actually, we are praying for the We leveled it. We, we did everything we need to do. On the right side would be a home for the mentally disabled children and a home for the age, like a world age home, like my mom's. And this is a hospital. And it's a five, actually, seven-story building. Two floors underground for parking, five floors on the, I like that, and it is uh, huge. Actually, I will show you the other picture. Uh, can, you, can you show me the next picture, please? Yeah, this is how the hospital is going to be. This is a huge, I say 100 bed, but it, it can put 200 beds there. And uh, friends, we are praying for that. I don't travel, trust me, I don't travel to raise money. I come with a message for the nations, but you also know we need money to do. Like, like you're announcing, we don't have a pastor, but we need money to maintain it, to take care of that. We need, that cost me just that one building, $3 million. With the $3 million, I can build that huge hospital. It costs you $100 million to do that. Even in the US, my friend said, it costs us $100 million to build that building. But with $3 million, I can build that, we need money. Guys, send me the chucks. Don't give me cash. It's too much to carry. We are actually, we need money. Next picture, please. And we, we, we are excavating that next picture. And that's the top of the mountain. That's the prayer mount. That's where I will build 24-7 prayer mount. And then uh, that's some of, the, all our, some of our pastors. That's who. I like that, Mike. And the people living there. Next picture, please. This is Germany. This is Germany. The Lord took me, actually. The reason I came to Canada, I want you to know. I had a vision of two hands holding the globe, 1988, August 1st. And across the globe, English word that said, Jesus cares. Underneath the hands, hands were up to here. I read names of five countries in English. USA, Canada, Sweden, South Africa, West Germany. Germany was not united at that time. And I thought, I never could able to think of, God will take me to those nations. But I thought, maybe God wanted me to pray for those nations. Sure enough, God took me, all those nations, after I counted 60 countries, and I stopped counting. After these nations, I went to 11 countries, of the, these flags. Only Jesus can do. Absolutely, Jesus can do. And this is a barn, a property that was donated to us, five acres, old barn. Next picture, please. I started such 
That's, this is how we declare. I'm going to Germany on Tuesday for that, that church dedication. And God is doing amazing things. I know, guys, though you are in Canada now, you're all from Europe. Either you or your parents, grandparents. When God took me to Germany, in 2001, we went first time. 2007, God spoke to me, come for long term. I will send revival in Germany. Germany will touch Europe again with the gospel. I liked it when God said, I will send revival in Germany again. But when he said long term, I said, no, Lord. If I have the hardest country, I was in Iraq for three years, eight months, under Saddam Hussein presidentship as an undercover missionary. I was in Kuwait. I was in Jordan. I was in Syria. But the most difficult country for me was Germany for gospel. Trust me, Europe is the dark continent for the gospel today. Hundreds and hundreds of churches are being shut down every day in Europe. European brothers and sisters, pray for Europe. But God is doing amazing things there. Yeah, next picture. This is inside, barn. Next. This is the children camp. We have 11 years every year. Next picture. This is the youth. This is the tent meetings. We are doing the tent meetings in the middle of the cities. We bought our own tent. That's my heart. Letting the name of Jesus be preached. Next picture. This is a, a Bremen train station. Bremen train station where Monica's parents, when they left in 50s, Germany, they came... They left from the train station. Went to Bremerhaven, took the ship. We didn't know that. But God took us there to start the ministry. Next picture, please. And this is also train station behind. Yes. Keep going. Live, live worship. It's in a, you should help me, babe. Where is this? Switzerland. And we have a church in Switzerland. Next picture, we give in three different places in Switzerland, hot dogs but with the love of Jesus. We saw so many tears there. So many lives has been changed. Next picture, please. Switzerland, next. This is the Romanian border of uh, uh, Ukraine. When the war started, thousands and thousands of Ukrainians, I felt like uh, the husbands to save their wives and children. I think they might have said, you know, you go out of this country. Every day, we took care of 2,000 people at the border. Our team from Switzerland went there to the point the prime minister of Romania came to thank our team for doing that. We fed 100,000 hot dogs in six months. We gave them drinks, coffee, and sharing the love of Jesus. Next picture, please. We also sent medicines to Ukraine and inside food. Medicine, next please. Next. This is U.S., Bennington, Vermont. We have three buildings there. And we started church. We give hot, hot dogs there. Next picture. Yeah, we are giving, giving away the clothing and the shoes. And also, guys, if you need any reading eyeglasses, we have them. I bought 2,000 glasses, actually. Yeah, we have them available for free. We are distributing Bibles in Winnipeg. We have them 
Yeah, next picture, please. And uh, yeah, see the glasses. And uh, you know, Washington, D.C., Lions Club in Washington, D.C., they give us, we sent 100,000 eyeglasses to Sierra Leone, and 10,000 eyeglasses to Madagascar. Next picture, please. This, is, this will be our future church on the main road of Bennington, Vermont. If you ever go there, you have a place to stay, food to eat for free. Next picture, please. And this is inside the church. Renovations going on right now. Next. Yeah, same thing. Next. Where is this way? Wichita. There is a road street called Broadway. Red light here. Yeah. We could be able to touch those hearts, giving hot dogs, praying for them, giving clothing. And any way you can share the love of Jesus with them, see people praying for them. Next picture. This is... Winnipeg, Manitoba. My wife's parents lived in that house. 1422 Williams Avenue, West. And my wife's mother prayed three times a day, kneeling down on her knees. And we bought that house six and a half years ago. We started a ministry there. Please pray. We want to touch. Next picture. Yeah, we are giving hard dogs. They are eating. That, that's the team. Last Saturday, we, had a, we did it. We have a park by the side of our house. 21 volunteers, friends. There's a people out there that needs love. That wants to know they, have a, they can have a hope in Jesus. Next picture. We, are, we sent actually 100 Bibles to Nicaragua. Spanish Bibles. And we sent high glasses there. We are also distributing the Bibles. I, I saw that Bible. You guys also have that. Next picture, please. See the live worship music in Winnipeg. Next picture. This is our basement. We are preparing that for a Bible study with a desire of starting a church in the future. And I will tell you, next picture, please. This is Madagascar. This is one of the... <laughs> 34 schools we started in the nation of Madagascar. 5,500 children are studying in our schools. That's the need in those nations. We have hundreds of churches there. Next picture. This is the prison. And they let me go inside to the prison. They brought all the prisoners, a thousand prisoners. After I shared the gospel with them, and I asked them, how many of you want Jesus? Friends, amazing to see. 800 people raised their hands in the prison. And then the prison authorities came. Next picture. We, we distributed Bible. They're all the prisoners. And actually, yesterday, that man, that white man there, you see on my left, he's a pastor in uh, Grand Forks. He and his wife came. They brought us some stuff there and a part of the Thing that we were doing on Friday. He was also there. And we distributed Bibles to them. Next picture. And then they asked me if I could build a church inside the prison. They said, first time in the country of Madagascar, a church was built inside the prison. The prisoners go every day to the church there to worship God. Think of what Jesus can do. This is not about me. This is about Jesus. You'd be missing the important part, if you're thinking that I am doing it. No, I'm not doing it. Jesus, 
He's doing the next picture. He's the president of the Madagascar country. We had a crusades, and he attended one of our crusades. And he was so thankful. But God, um, you are listening what God can do through an untouchable boy. What would stop you guys? Think about it. Next picture. And this is Sierra Leone, the free town. God took me there. Next picture. We started 15 schools. This is one of the schools. Next picture. And he's the president. He was the president of the country. We did a lot of medical camps. We went to the street. It's a basically a, a, a Muslim country with the minority of Christians. How many of you heard the Blood Diamond, the movie Blood Diamond that was taken there? I still see people with no legs, no hands. It's a rich country with the poor people. It hurts me when I heard how the, they, they would ask them, what do you want, half hands or full hands? Where do you want me to cut your hand? The Al-Qaeda used to come and take their, all their diamonds. Poor people with a rich country. But it's amazing to see how God is doing, what God is doing. We have hundreds of churches there. I took three of them to India, trained them in India, sent them back. We still work with them. And amazing. Next picture, please. Is it done? Okay, thank you. Just to give you a little view of what happened, but I can't let you say go without telling that. There's one young man of 25 years of age, Second Chronicles chapter 29. He saw the destruction in his country. He saw the suffering of his people. 120,000 army, valiant men was killed in one day. 200,000 people were taken as a captives in one day. He saw the destruction that came on his nation because of his dad. Chapter 28, his dad did not do according to the plan of God. He did everything against the plan of God. His dad died and he became the king at the age of 25. He decided to do what his dad didn't do. He says, it's in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God Almighty to stop the wrath of God coming on our people. It's one young man, brother. It only takes God when one young man, one young lady. It's all. It takes just one person to make a covenant Give me five, sister. It only takes God, one person, to make a covenant with God. Lord, doesn't matter, either by life or by death, I want to be in the center of your will. When you are singing all those songs, to be in the center of God's will, it's not easy. Trust me, it's not easy. A lot of threats. We would have been killed a number of times. But by God's grace, we are still alive. But what Jesus did, did Jesus give us half of his blood? Did Jesus sacrifice just half of him? He has given us totally, unconditionally, till the last drop of our, his blood, so that you and me can be called the children of the Most High God. This young man saw the destruction. He decided 
to be in the center of God's will. He tells his nation, first thing, it's in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel to stop the wrath. I thought, oh man, he must be crazy. God was, yes, angry that time. Lot of destruction. He was willing to stand between his suffering people and the angry God. What happened? Everything turned around. He opened the doors of the temple, which his dad shut it down. His dad started worshiping idols, giving sacrifices, his own children, human sacrifices. A chosen people, God's people, left God, turned their backs, my Bible says. That's what he said, our fathers, fathers has turned their backs against God. Great Canada. God wants to touch your nation again. It's time for God's people to arise. Stand up. Take a stand for Jesus. Your country, I would have not been here if it is not for your country. I would have not been here alive if it's not for your country. It hurts me. I told my wife to share when she was here last year. Her mom went to be with the Lord, actually. Went to be with the Lord. She came. I could not come. I didn't have a visa. She came. And when she came back, she said, I felt, I felt death. I smelled death in my country. The anger of the people, the hopelessness. I didn't come to stay this long. I came for only two and a half weeks for our fa father-in-law's birthday, 92nd birthday. He sat me down at our dining table and she said, she was crying, she never did that to me. She says, the Lord spoke to me. Come here, babe. She said, the Lord spoke to me that it's God's time for us to stay here longer. I have all crusades set up. I preached to thousands of people. I was preaching to 1.5 million people sitting in front of me one time. She was with me on the stage. That's my life to make this name of Jesus known to the people. I didn't know what to answer to my wife when she said, crying and weeping. And she said, I feel the Lord spoke to me that we should stay here longer. She never did that to me before. I said, change the ticket. I canceled everything there. Back home, we changed the ticket. And I now know why I'm here. Friends, I plead with you. I beseech you as a brother in the Lord, blessed by your country, your people, please wake up. We need Hezekiah. We need people to hear the voice of the Lord to feel the heart of God. It's not enough, trust me, it's not enough to sing those songs. It's not enough to think about it. It's time to do something about it. I, 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 I hear people saying, we are praying. No, start doing it. Don't pray until you die. Everyone around the world needs Jesus, this young man. Didn't think he should be thinking about how to expand his kingdom, how to be a king, how to get a big name and all that stuff. But he didn't do that. 
He said he opened the temple and he gave work to the Levites and the priests again. What is a revival? Revival is back to life again. He didn't build a new building there. No new temple was built. He only used the temple that was there before. He opened it. They cleaned it in eight days. And the worship started. And the Bible says, he did it with all his heart. Brothers, God is not looking for your money. I'm not here for your money. Though I said for you to pray, I'm not here to raise funds for ministry in India. But I'm here for you. Jesus wants you, not what you have. He's not a beggar looking for your money. No, he wants you. He's looking for you. I don't understand Ron and Mary came to my house in 1422 William Evans. He said, you know what? Our pastor left in the church. Would you be willing to preach one Sunday then? Ron was with me in India many times. I said, yes, Ron, I will do that. That's why I'm here. But hearing you singing those songs, I, I see your heart. I see your passion. It's not enough. You need to step out. You need to move. Move on, brother. Move on, sister. This is the moving day. Move a little closer. Take your stand for Jesus. Move on, brother, move on. We can talk about it. It's time to do it. Doesn't need to be somebody special. Any donkey God can use. Are you willing to be that donkey today? Tied up donkey, never been used. That guy was feeding the donkey, but he didn't know how to use the donkey. But Jesus knows how to use it. Jesus is looking for donkeys, brother. Can I come to you, bro? Can I give you five? God bless you, sister. It's not enough to come to church, to the building. It's time for church to wake up. We need his chaos. He woke up. He realized the need. He stood in front of his people. He said, it's in my heart. You can preach the Bible, but time to live the Bible out. Oh, man. <laughs> live out the Bible. That's where you can make a difference. It's time for Canada. My wife said, it's God's time for Canada. I'm leaving Tuesday, but I'll be coming back before the end of this year. I would Canada is my priority now, friends, trust me. I'm honored that God will do that to me. Bring me, I'm 70, but I'm, I don't feel old. I don't feel world. I can jump and dance and run and preach. I can make you to sit all the day long preaching Jesus, man. Amen. Preaching Jesus, living for Jesus. So Jesus is looking for one person that would say, yes. Really. Jesus did not come to establish a religion. Religion is a deception. Jesus is real. 
He's looking for relationship with people. So he stood in the center of God's well. Things turned around. There's peace, there's joy. There's a blessings of God on that nation. It's a history. It's a history. May the Lord speak to your heart. If God can use somebody like me, an untouchable boy dying on the street with starvation, tell me, friends, what would stop God to use you? But what it takes is your commitment to the call of God. He's calling you. He's calling you. Can you hear the heart of God for the lost? Can you respond to the call of God? He's the troublemaker. When he prayed for us, he said, challenge us. He's the troublemaker. Not me, though. He said, Lord, use him to challenge us. I would have done that anyway. That was a confirmation to me. I'm not here for your money. You have given me enough. You have given me life. You have given me education. You have given me Jesus. You have given me more than I needed. This boy going around the world feeding people in Germany and Europe and Africa. We prepare thousands of meals every day, everywhere. It's because of Jesus. So friends, would you close your eyes, please? Give him a minute time. He's calling. He's looking for people that would say yes to him. Eskia's needed. Esther's needed. Ruth's needed. One man with God is the majority. One soul on the way to Damascus changed the history. One tribe, one untouchable boy traveling the world. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for my family here. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here. Thank you for bringing me here. Thank you for this opportunity to share my heart with my brothers and my sisters, Lord. Lord, I pray that you will speak to them. Speak to their hearts, Lord. Touch the hearts of the people. Revival. Back to life again. For your glory. For your purposes. In Jesus' name.